I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be reading the last two chapters of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapters 26 and 27. Leviticus 26 talks about the blessings that come from obeying God. Beginning with verse 1. He shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear up you a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land, to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. He shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely." And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. And he shall eat old store, and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke, and made you go upright. As we come to the closing out of the book of Leviticus, God's very clear in His establishment of the blessings of obedience and curses of disobedience here. It's a pretty simple proposition, actually. In these first 13 verses, Israel is told what they can expect if they obey God. So, here it is. Israel must do the following. First of all, no idols of any kind. No religious image of any kind. That's in verse 1. Number 2, keep the Sabbaths. That's in verse 2. And number three, keep the statutes and the commandments. That's in verse three. Now, if they'll do those three things, then here's what it says. In verse four, God will give rain in due season. God will cause the land and trees to yield well. Verse four, God will keep the agricultural calendar consistent. Verse five, he will keep them living in peace. Verse six, God will cause their enemies to flee from them. Verses seven and eight. God will make them fruitful and multiply them, verse 9. He will establish his covenant with them, verse 9 also. He'll make their food last between harvest, in verse 10. God will make his dwelling among them, verse 11. And God will also maintain a relationship with them, in verse 12. Now, you may have noticed that uh, eternal life isn't in the proposition there at all. Well, why not? It's vital to understand that the law of Moses, in its proper context, it provided the standard for principles of obedience necessary for Israel to receive national blessings from God. It was never, never, never intended to be a means of providing the conditions for 
individual's spiritual fitness before God. That fitness before God was clearly established all the way back with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it said, And he believed in the Lord, talking about Abraham, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Individual salvation has always been an issue of faith, then and now. The law of Moses governed the conduct of the nation of Israel, much like the Constitution of the United States does for citizens today. The use of the law of Moses to establish individual righteousness is an extra-scriptural use of the law that demonstrates man's attempt to forsake faith in lieu of works. Now, beginning with verse 14, we see the consequences. What if Israel does not obey God? Verse 14. But if he will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments... And if ye shall despise my statutes, or if you so abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain. And your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you, according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you, and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you, that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver unto you bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste, and bring your sanctuaries into desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will gather you among the heathen, and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste." Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate. And ye shall be in your enemy's land. Even then shall the land rest, 
and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelled upon it. And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness in their hearts, in the lands of their enemies, and the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them. They shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursueth. And they shall fall one upon another, as it were before a sword, when none pursueth. And ye shall have no power to stand before your enemies. And ye shall perish among the heathen, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands, and also in the iniquity of their fathers shall they pine away with them. Well, all you can say after reading those verses is, Wow! But I guess we do need to specify that with all the blessings that we saw in verses 1 through 13, I mean, why wouldn't Israel obey God? What a life! Now, it's particularly puzzling when we see the verses that we just looked at, those curses for disobedience. I mean, what will happen to Israel if they do disobey? Well, I mean, we saw the blessings, now we saw the cursings. So here's to summarize what we saw. If Israel does, and we know in retrospect that in fact they did, but here's the promise, and here's the covenant. If Israel does rebel and does the following, they don't listen to God, verse 14, they don't keep his commandments, verse 15, they reject God's decrees, in verse 15 also, abhor God's laws, verse 15, and violate God's covenant with them, again, verse 15, then here's what it says God will do. In verse 16, bring terror and diseases upon them. Let their enemies get their planted seed. In verse 17, deliver them to their enemies. Well, okay, that ought to be enough to bring them back, right? Well, what if that doesn't bring Israel back? Then we have further stipulations, beginning with verse 18, what God will do. He will punish them seven times over for their sins. Verse 19, give them bad ground and bad weather. And then verse 20, take the yield away from their crops. But what if that doesn't do it? I mean, what if they still won't turn back and serve God? Well, then God will do the following, beginning in verse 21. Multiply their afflictions seven times over. And, verse 22, send wild animals to kill their children and cattle. Okay, but what if by some stretch of the imagination, Israel is still hostile toward God? Well, then here's what he'll do, beginning with verse 24. Afflict them another seven times over. Verse 25, send enemies with the sword to afflict them. Also, send plagues on them when they head for the cities in retreat. And facilitate their capture by their enemies. And then verse 26, he'll cut off their food supply. Well, that ought to do it, right? Well, but what if Israel still is hostile toward God? Well, then God will do the following. He'll display, in verse 28, hostility toward them. He'll punish them another seven times over. And then he'll turn them over to cannibalism, in verse 29. And this, by the way, actually happened in Second Kings chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. 
And Jeremiah in Lamentations writes about it in Lamentations chapter 4, verse 10. And then here's what he'll also do in verse 30. They still don't obey. Destroy their pagan altars and pile their dead bodies on those altars. Verse 31, destroy their cities and their sanctuaries. And he reject their offerings. And verse 32, lay waste their land. And verse 33, scatter them among the nations. Well, of course, we know that happened. But what about the people, according to the stipulations here in Leviticus chapter 26, what about the people who are left in the land after the other people are scattered among the nations? Well, it says in verse 36 that he will cause those people to live in constant fear. In verse 37, cause them to stumble over one another in confusion. And verses 38 and 39, cause them to waste away right there before their enemies. Now, it's impossible to legitimately say that God did not warn Israel. You can't be any clearer than the itemized warnings found here in Leviticus chapter 26. But Israel, the northern kingdom, after the split of, uh, following Solomon's reign, they fell to the Assyrians in 721 B.C. That's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 17. When Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, finally fell completely to the Babylonians in 586 B.C., by the way, that's recorded in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25, these negatives that we see here in Leviticus 26, these punishments... They had come to pass at that point in time. Because here's the deal. The whole nation, having been warned by God himself right here in Leviticus chapter 26, had met its demise because they violated these very components of their covenant with God. Well, now we ask this question. Will God just forget Israel at that point? Verse 40 begins to answer that question. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember. And I will remember the land. The land also shall be left of them, and shall enjoy her Sabbaths, while she lieth desolate without them. And they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity, because even because they despise my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses." We see from verse 35 that along with everything else, they will neglect to observe the Sabbath years mandated in Leviticus chapter 25. It's hard to believe, but Israel chose to disobey God rather than to obey. Unbelievable. Notice in these remaining verses of the chapter 
that God tells them that through all their disobedience and consequences, God will still remember them after they repent. These verses characterize what, in fact, what happened to Israel in their disobedience and fall to the Assyrians in 721 B.C. for the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And then their subsequent return to their land from their exile after 70 years, just as Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 14. And he confirmed it again in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. We shift gears when we get to the last chapter of the book of Leviticus that talks about the vow. Do not underestimate the value of a vow. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When a man shall make a singular vow, the person shall be for the Lord by thy estimation. And thy estimation shall be of the male from twenty years old, even unto sixty years old. Even thy estimation shall be fifty shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary. And if it be a female, then thy estimation shall be thirty shekels. And if it be from five years old, even unto twenty years old, then thy estimation shall be of the male, twenty shekels, and for the female, ten shekels. And if it be from a month old, even unto five years old, then thy estimation shall be of the male, five shekels of silver, and for the female thy estimation shall be three shekels of silver. And if it be from sixty years old and above, if it be a male, then thy estimation shall be fifteen shekels, and for the female ten shekels. But if he be the poorer than thy estimation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall value him according to his ability that vowed shall the priest value him. And if it be a beast whereof men bring an offering unto the Lord, all that any man giveth of such unto the Lord shall be holy. He shall not alter it nor change it, a good for a bad, or a bad for a good. And if he shall at all change beast for beast, then it and the exchange thereof shall be holy. And if it be any clean beast, of which they do not offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, then he shall present the beast before the priest. And the priest shall value it, whether it be good or bad, as thou valuest it. Who art the priest, so shall it be. But if he will at all redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part thereof unto thy estimation. And when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad. As the priest shall estimate it, so shall it be. And if he that sanctified it will redeem his house, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation to it, and it shall be his. And if a man shall sanctify unto the Lord some part of a field of his possession, then thy estimation shall be according to the seed thereof, and homer of barley seed shall be valued at fifty shekels of silver. If he sanctify his field from the year of jubilee, according to thy estimation it shall stand. But if he sanctify his field after the jubilee, then the priest shall reckon unto him the money according to the years that remain, even unto the year of the jubilee, and it shall be abated from thy estimation." And if he that sanctified the field will in any wise redeem it, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of thy estimation to it, and it shall be assured to him. And if he will not redeem the field, or if he have sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it goeth out of the jubilee, shall be holy unto the Lord, as a field devoted, the possession thereof shall be the priest. And if any man sanctify unto the Lord a field which he hath bought, which is not of the fields of his possession, 
Then the priest shall reckon unto him the worth of thy estimation, even unto the year of the jubilee, and he shall give thine estimation in that day as a holy thing unto the Lord. In the year of the jubilee the field shall return unto him of whom it was bought, even to him to whom the possession of the land did belong. And all thy estimation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall be the shekel. Only the firstlings of the beast, which should be the Lord's firstlings, no man shall sanctify it, whether it be ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it be of an unclean beast, then he shall redeem it according to thine estimation, and shall add a fifth part of it thereto. Or if it be not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to thy estimation. Notwithstanding, no devoted thing that a man shall devote unto the Lord, of all that he hath, both of the man and beast, and of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. None devoted which shall be devoted of men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd, or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy, it shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. Well, now this chapter is all about making voluntary vows to God. These vows were taken very seriously. When someone petitioned God by making such a vow, it was considered a permanent transaction, no turning back on that. Chapter 27 does, however, place monetary values upon such vows. Once made, these vows were redeemable by the values that we've just seen given here in this passage. Some were made with the intention of monetary redemption at a time uh, later on, at the time of their commitment, they intended to redeem them with money later on. Now, these vows fall into four categories. We see persons in verses 2 through 8, animals, verses 9 through 13, houses in verses 14 and 15, and then fields in verses 16 to 25. Now, verses 26 to 34 provide some addendum to the valuations for your vows you'll notice that some things just cannot be given as a vow because they belong to God anyway. We find a warning regarding vows in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23, when it says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee, that which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform even a freewill offering according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Notice what Solomon said about these voluntary vows in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Here's what he said. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Samuel was Hannah's vow to God in First Samuel chapter 1 when she left him up there at the tabernacle. That was prior to her conception. 
She subsequently presented him to the high priest for service to God. And who can forget that Jephthah's foolish, foolish vow, unscriptural vow in Judges chapter 11. You'll notice that offering a human as a burnt offering was not part of the regulations of Leviticus chapter 27. What Jephthah did was clearly a violation of the law of Moses. While completely contrary to God's law, it does show us, though, how seriously the Hebrews took their vows. I mean, Jephthah went ahead with the sacrifice of his daughter anyway. Numbers chapter 30 also deals with the subject of vows and how very, very sacred they are. Now, there's an exception made regarding the use of land for a vow as the year of Jubilee approaches in verses 16 to 25. According to Leviticus 25 verses 13 to 34, land that year reverted back to its original tribal owner upon entry into Canaan. If that land had been purchased by another and used as a vow, it still reverted back to the original tribal owner according to verses 22 to 24. However, if it had been the tribal owner of the land who dedicated it to the Lord as a vow, it did not revert back in the year of Jubilee. It became the permanent possession of the priest. And with that comment, we now have completed the book of Leviticus. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 